Hey everyone, this is Robert Gowan. You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast, and uh, joining me this evening is Mark McCowan, Scott Kinder, and Mike Pritz. Welcome, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing well, good, thanks. Yeah, not everybody listened. Uh, speaking words, I got the crackling still going on. I don't know what's going on with that noise. Um, we may uh, have Joe uh, join us. He had a little bit of a minor emergency, and uh, as soon as he gets uh, back in front of his computer, he's going to let me know, and we'll bring him in at that time frame. Uh, Rudy probably will not be able to join us this evening, but we've got a uh, brand new topic, and we decided to uh, bring the guys together um, to kind of have what's similar probably to in the strategy room type of session around a particular topic, but we thought it was a good one. Um, and that's around adaptability. And it's primarily because, uh, one of the guests that we were hooking up for this, uh, this show actually, uh, had to make a minor change, uh, had some other plans, uh, no big deal. We understand that happens. And, uh, because of that, uh, we were talking and thought, well, you know, times you got to be able to adapt, overcome and, you know, come up with something new. And so in this case, uh, that's exactly what we did. And we thought about, well, this might be a great topic because it fits in very well with not only the military, but of course, with the private sector. Uh, private sector probably views this in corporate America a little bit more um, in tune with change and adapting to that and uh, the different types of things go that goes on uh, with change, whether it's uh, organizational restructuring, uh, divestitures, uh, new businesses being acquired, whatever the case may be. Uh, and of course, uh, the military has very similar type of things. So what I thought I'd do is get uh, the guys together and we'd uh, be able to talk about this subject. I'm sure we all have some stories to be able to share. Um, and uh, these guys are always good for at least one or two. Right? <laughs> we are, yes. <laughs> you guys are. You don't want to step on everybody. Go for it, Mark. Uh, well, I don't know. It fits. It fits really good. Like for me right now, um, I'm still active, still working in that. Um, so, so really, you know, every everything from our training to our mission, all that, uh, it pretty much centers around adaptability. So, I mean, I live it like all day, every day. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, it, both from the the active duty military, especially in the special operations world. You know, every exercise, every mission, every plan, everything hinges upon being just, you know, as, as fluid and adaptable as possible. But then transitioning into the entrepreneurial world and, and trying to make a name for yourself and trying to, you know, identify business plans and ways forward and get new clients, that adaptability is key for success in, in the entrepreneurial world for certain. I think it's broader than, than just the soft world. I mean, it's, it's the military in general. I mean, look at how much time we spend accomplishing things with, with inadequate resources, you know, with, without enough time to prepare. I, I think it's what makes people in the military, uh, I mean, adaptable is a great word to, to use for this, Robert. It, it's, it's what makes us thrive. And I, I think that type of environment uh, is, is where I perform the best. Yeah, and you know, and I think that those that are coming out of the the military um, and going into the private sector, it's one of the things when you know you're in the interview process and they ask you, uh, "Well, how do you feel about change?" Um, well, we live in a constant change. I mean, is there ever anything constant when it comes to the military? I mean, really, it's always one of those things where we're always having to adapt to new situations, a new mission. Um, personnel, whatever the case may be, it, it's always evolving. It's always changing. It may, it may even become that we become so accustomed to to change 
that being static for a while is a little bit more difficult. And I think the fluid environment is, uh, is one that we work very well in. And, and if you're doing the same thing, more routine, uh, I would say, is, is more difficult for me than, than constantly changing and being adaptable. I think the more routine environment is definitely more worrisome for me because I feel as if I'm trying to adapt to something and trying to be prepared for something. And through that preparedness, the, the nerves kind of tap in that I'm, not, I'm missing something, right? Like what's coming at me that I'm not prepared for? What am I not taking into account through my, my pace planning or, or my just whatever methodology that I'm, I'm using at the moment? So pace planning. Uh, primary, alternate, contingency, and emergency. Just uh, I explained it last time. So I'm normally decent at uh, translating the acronyms. I'm mixed for everybody that's listening. So apologies, Robert. I'll get back on no my No worries, game. no worries. Just wanted to make sure that for those who are listening uh, later that won't be in the Mixler chat room after I delete the 150 comments that are in there. But, um, yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that I was able to do when I came out of the private sector was adapt rather easily with the situation I – I've ran into others who said, you know, how did you, how did you make that change? Because, um, you know, there are folks that struggle with making the transition. Um, but I think if you really get into the core of your adaptability and your ability to overcome some of those things, you start to realize that, no, you're quite accustomed to that. You, you know, you live in that space a lot. And if you are comfortable with that, like I am, um, I love change. It's the reason why I started getting initially into uh, project management uh, process changes, um, creating organizational effectiveness, um, all of those types of things because I really strived in that environment. I mean, I, it was a uh, it was an area that I was really comfortable in. And a lot of folks coming out of the military are as well. Um, it's the reason why they end up going to, you know, big companies, GE and those types of things because they can be more adaptable and they, they can be um, in those environments where they're, it's always evolving and ever-changing. Products, you know, whatever the case may be. So Amy's brought up a question in the chat room, Robert. She's saying, is an ability to adapt just a fear of change? So I guess we could start off with that type of uh, theoretical type question. I don't know. I think, uh, I mean, if you look back to, to our organizations that we come from, if you had somebody on a team who was, who was fearful of, of getting into a new, uh, a new situation, Fearful of change. I, I mean, I, I can tell stories from all the way back in the '80s to difference of the way things are now. If we were afraid to change, we wouldn't be effective. Uh, so maybe it is. Maybe somebody who's not adaptable is a little bit afraid of of changing what what they're comfortable with. Maybe it's getting outside of the comfort zone uh, is 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 difficult for them. You know, in the counseling that I used to do with my um, associates and subordinates and stuff was around change was, you know, whether you realize it or not, you're always in a, in a state of change. There's never a state of constant. The old days of, you know, clocking in, doing a specific task within a cubicle or, you know, within an assembly line process or something like that is they're gone. Um, the, the world with a global market, um, the way we have to constantly evaluate the marketplace, um, evaluate where our, you know, our market is in that marketplace or what, what, you know, the niche that we're looking for and such. Um, we always have to be in a constant state of change. 
Um, and, and again, it goes back to the training that we got within the military is very helpful in doing so because those who are in the private sector that might be evaluating it as, well, I, you know, I, I'm not comfortable with that. I, I like the way things were, the way we had it. You know, I'd get a piece of paper in, I'd put a stamp over in the right-hand corner, I'd, you know, staple it in the left-hand corner, and then I'd put it in the outbox, and then somebody would come and take it. When I change that and I tell them that we're not going to do that anymore, then they start getting that uncomfortableness. And so I think there is a, a state of that where people are not maybe comfortable with change, but when you get down to it and start breaking down the pieces of it with that associate, that they begin to realize that actually they are always in a state of change. Things are always evolving, whether it's equipment, personnel, you know, whatever the case may be, it, around them, change is happening. Uh, Robert, sure, I think but, I think. Go ahead, Scott. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Mike. Apologies. I I think that you know there there are certain environments where we we want procedure to to take effect, and and we don't want to we don't want to vary from that. I mean, look, you've been sharing a lot of stuff lately with the guys jumping out of airplanes. You know, there's some Halo stuff going around. I shared one on Thursday. You put some up today, and we look at look at the procedure we follow for JMPI. Look at the procedure we follow. For you know, PWAC or, or you know, actions in the aircraft, whether it's a static line jump or a halo jump, uh, there there are certain things that man, we're very sticky about changing them. I mean, it takes a it takes a lot of analysis, and something usually has to go wrong before we we look at those procedures to change them. Um, in other environments, we're very fluid, but I, I think we want certain environments that are that are safe, you know, and and there are probably certain professions that are like that as well, and, and maybe. Maybe people comfortable in those professions aren't as adaptable because it's not a necessity. Where what we we accept on a daily basis in the military uh, is, I think a lot of it is is dealing with the uncertain. So so change is is necessary. And I also I'm hearing the you know I'm hearing the word comfort and routine and the, and the phrasing from being you know in our comfort zone, uncomfortable and, and changing paradigm shifts and, and changing mindsets and and I think that that routine and that comfort is what when, when we reach a certain point right that's where a lot of us start to fail because we think that we've reached a plateau in life that we can have this comfort that we've somehow earned this right to comfort and routine and that we don't have to continuously learn anymore and, and adjust our paradigms but but it's really in that elite type of mindset that you learn that just because you've reached the next rank or a position or a title or whatever, that learning ethos and that comfort, you should always challenge yourself to expand that comfort zone to be adaptable and to grow into new things because, you know, the sky's the limit, right? So, so I think that adaptability is understanding and being able to overcome your comfort zone and that desire for the routine and that desire for easy. Yeah, you know, and I mean, you touched on something, Mike, when you talked about, um, you know, more or less dealing with life and death situations. You you follow a process to the T to make sure that there is, for lack of better terms, in the private sector side, quality performed um, and a high standard level of quality because in terms of what you just described, it could be a life or death situation, whereas in the private sector, it could be how a product is designed, how it's uh, viewed by the uh, the consumer that actually gets it. Um, so in times you have to adapt in order to make sure that the consumer gets a better product, that the quality is improved, that the, uh, the decisions are made between um, the deliverables of the process, that they're eliminated so that you eliminate non-quality processes uh, within that that don't affect the outcome um, so that you can 
um, do it more efficient, uh, speed to delivery, those types of things. Um, so again, it's like I mentioned, it's really a constant change of adaptability. I mean, you have to adapt all the time to the, uh, to the environment, whether it's a product, a service, or delivery. Yeah, and I think if you don't, in the, in the environment you're talking about, you, you fall behind because other people are certainly going to. Well, McChrystal, you know, and team of teams, you know, and in the software world, you know, we have VUCA, right? Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And, and I talk about it in, in some of my courses, like my CEO course as well. So if we understand the, the social market and the social economy that we're living in, you know, the examples, the easy examples are Hilton Hotels took 93 years to reach 160 million rooms, but Air Bread and Breakfast did it in four years, you know, offering up the same amount of rooms. These paradigms are being tossed on, on their butts, you know, out these old business models, these old comfort. Um, so so being adaptable in this environment, but but volatile and uncertainty, it's not just in the military. That's in the business world. That's in your personal world. You know, anything can happen to you personally, professionally, or anywhere that, that throws volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and definitely ambiguity in your life, right? Diseases happen, things happen, job changes happen. You know, the, the global financial crisis, we're still talking about it daily here in Australia, you know, the big GFC. Um, all of this stuff happens, the 401k disappears, right? You have to continuously be adaptable and open to change. Yeah, I think uh, James hit um, something, you know, when he talked about the, um, you know, people who become more habitual in their in their process. You know, they, they form a habit of doing certain things a certain way. Um, they get that sense of comfort. Um, and unfortunately, some people, um, especially as you get older, you get a lot more comfortable in a certain way of doing things and a certain, uh, you, you know, you may... Uh, as you come to work, you come in through the same door. You go to the same uh, workspace. You actually perform the same jobs and repetition. You actually leave at the same time each day. You drive home the same way. You go and eat certain meals on certain evenings. You you form these habitual um, processes or these these steps and stuff in your life that you may not even realize. And and especially within the uh, special forces or special operations forces community. Um, you tend to try to break those types of things because you don't want to have those patterns. You don't want to know that you're going a certain way to work each day. You don't want to have those. So it's, again, living within the change because the change is not necessarily a good thing. Forming those habits certainly aren't. But you want to hear some bitching when change happens. Like when Mike talked about you know, the JMPI, add a step to the JMPI or change the, the vaunted, you know, venerable JMPI status and Oh my lord! You you never hear such complaining. Introduce a life. new canopy, or a new container, oh. and and you've got to retrain the entire force, and you've got years of institutional knowledge that are just gone. And you know we just went through that a few years ago. We're we're doing it uh, now, or probably since I've retired, they've already done it with the new Halo systems that we've got. Um, it it you have all this knowledge, uh, and again, it's about safety. So and I think when we're talking about safety, we want procedure. I, I've got a a very good friend of mine who used to be a free fall instructor down at Yuma for four years and uh, you know, a free fall team sergeant. He's a fantastic guy, but he would harp on me uh, about procedure and a lot of things that we did. He was, he was my first sergeant for a while. We were old teammates. I brought him in to be a first sergeant with me. And, and uh, th this guy could remember procedure from the very first time he had done a, a JMPI. And, and it's, it's amazing to have that kind of, that kind of knowledge that you've got to change, not just for one person, but for the entire force. 
And, uh, and again, like Scott said, you know, there's a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth when you have to do it. But I, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's evident in how adaptable the military is because we just, just, just like there's procedure to do it every time, we establish a procedure for change. And, and we put everybody through that, that, that change process. And then once again, it becomes, you know, it com- becomes normal. You know, new jump masters today, uh, well, they never had to deal with that. So it's, it's, they'll go through it too. I mean, it, it's kind of incredible to watch when you stand back. Well, yeah. I mean, you think about it. There are there are people out there as consultants that are making a living on change management and um, explaining and consulting what that is to industry, how it is that you have to adapt uh, in order to survive. Um, I mean, when you think about those aspects of it, I mean, you have certain standing operating procedures within any type of organization, especially those that are in a manufacturing environment. Uh, because it, without the SOPs, it's the same thing like the military. You're going to have errors. You're going to have defects. Um, you're going to have problems that are going to occur. It's either going to affect the quality um, or it's going to affect something within the process that's going to make the delivery time longer or something of that nature. So it really follows very much in line with what you just described, Mike. And um, you have to have procedures, but you also have to be able to adapt those procedures to the environment, to the work to the changing space that's coming uh, as well. Well, you have to understand that, you know, you, when we say procedures, oftentimes we're not constrained by this left and right limits that is your, you know, only what you can do, this checklist of, of things that you have to abide by each and every time. The, the procedures are, are simply for, for safety. You know, when we're talking jump mastering and, and making sure that the, the parachute's warm properly so when you exit the airplane, you, you're getting the right opening shock instead of the, the ground shock, right? Um, but procedures for safety are one thing, but procedures as far as the standard operating procedures are, are wholly holistically different because they enable you to to continuously adapt them and to to grow best practices out of them but that's that institutional knowledge is a great point that mike made a few minutes ago and if that institutional knowledge isn't captured someplace then as soon as you know the sergeant major gets hit by the hit by the bus or the team leader you know retires all of a sudden it's gone it's vanished 20 30 years of institutional knowledge out the door Scott, I think you give entirely too much credit to the sort of major involved here. So <laughs> it's Mike. I miss it. You look pretty good close to the body, man. So <laughs> yours, yours didn't take I didn't go to the much. academy, man. I went to Air Force school. That's that's the whole difference. Oh, there it is. <laughs> I was looking for the scar earlier, but I couldn't see it. So. <laughs> no, but I I think you know you, you hit on something where we in in addition to being adaptable, we also have to have procedure. I mean, I mean, there's there's a time and a place where, where there's the right thing to do, and we don't deviate from that. And, and then there's a time when ambiguity sets in, and that's where soft really comes into play in the world. And, and that's when we, we use our minds and we, we, we think a little bit differently than, than a lot of organizations. Um, but I, I think there's, there's definitely a time to follow procedure. There's probably the same thing, you know, Robert, in the business world where you have to. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, again, you know, it comes down to if you don't follow certain procedures, you may not be able to um, attain certain regulatory certifications. Um, You may, uh, again, have defects or errors or, uh, you know, want to have good quality. Um, So absolutely. I mean, 
Uh, you know, when, it, when, I, and when I say procedures too, sometimes they're not always written procedures. Sometimes they're just known procedures like what you guys are talking about somewhat as well. Um, but I mean, it still comes down to the same thing. If you really dig down deep into it, you probably start realizing that change is always around you in some way. Um, you know, there's, there's changing of, of prices for products and services that you find out here, uh, whether it's going to the pump and getting your gas, whether it's going to the grocery store and getting your milk. Um, there were changes that happened uh, within the market space that caused those prices to fluctuate uh, that you're paying out that additional money. Um, so when you start thinking about change and adaptability, you've got to be able to adapt in those situations and you got to be able to have the right amount of income uh, set aside to be able to offset when the gas prices go up. And that means that you still have to get to work and you still got to come home and you still got to buy the milk. And, you know, again, it's, it's about um, making those adjustments that's necessary and having uh, the wherewithal really to be able to uh, adapt with it as, as it changes. And people crack hey, up, I right, think man? part of that. Go ahead, Mark. Sorry. Hey, I, I think part of that, um, you know, not only just being adaptable, but then, uh, but then willing to to take that leap of faith. Um, man, I think that's a big thing with us. Like from, from that soft perspective on it, is you know we'll, we'll master something, and you know. It's, even before we even start getting comfortable with it, then you start, you know, expanding onto something else and, and driving, driving. But the same thing, uh, like you get to that point, you know, the adaptability portion of it, and you're looking at it to to where there are certain people that you will take that leap of faith, um, moving on to the next step. And you see a lot of people, like they want to do that, they want that change, they want to make that adapt but they 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 just won't make that that leap you know and and, and i think you look at it from our world that, that, that we thrive on that to to take that leap and and step forward with it yeah so i think that's due to fear right because if i had to put a put a label on or a word to that what you're describing mark that's that that fear of change and it goes back to what i was going to say a moment ago my older brother is is one of my idols in this world he was a he was a West Pointer, first Gulf War veteran, you know, got out as a young officer, went to graduate school and has made millions of dollars since then. Um, he's very successful. But he, and he's now a, um, an executive director at a Fortune 50 bank, but he hates change, hates it with a passion, will not admit that anything changes in the world. Um, everything is, is to how he likes it and how it should be, and, and nothing will ever, will ever change his opinion or his mindset on anything. But he doesn't live in a world where he has to change. All he has to do is go to his office and then read and do what he does, and, and he's good. But in, in the soft world, back to Mark's point, to, to tie a bow on it, we don't have that ability, right? If it's a mission, we understand that there's an end state, that commander's intent, that commander's end state that's been dictated to us that we have to try and accomplish. And through that, there's no real ability to say, well, I just prefer to sit here in my comfort zone and do that. There, there's, you know, in, in any military, not just the soft world, but we're willing to embrace that fear because, one, we trust the guys to our left and right because there's that, you know, brotherhood of trust and intimate knowledge of the, the best core principles and practices out there. And, two, we trust in our own abilities, and we know that we're going to problem solve correctly and find the right answer eventually. Yeah, yeah Scott, it's something else, you know, I, I think maybe your brother can – he can afford to – to, to control his environment a little bit more, where particularly on the team level, 
we never have that ability. And we're, we're, we're throwing a mission, uh, usually with, with not enough time to prepare and plan, not enough resources to execute. Uh, and, and then we've, we've got to come up with a, a way to get to the end state. And, and I think that makes us uh, very different in, in a lot of ways than, than what you're talking about. And I think probably a lot of people in the business world are exactly like that. They're, they're, they're singularly focused. Uh, where we have to have you know multi aspects uh, in our field of view, and I think that makes things a little bit different in how we approach things, which we have to be we have to be adaptable in those cases. But when I talk to clients and my brother, I, I, it's one word, right? And I'll ask him why. Why do you do it like that? Why do you think it has to be done like that? You know, but it always starts with why. And when, and when my Marines, you know, when, when I worked for, you know, as a program manager, I would always ask my Marines the same question. And then I would warn them, I'm going to ask you why. But when you start your answer, it better not be with the words, because I've always done it like that or because we've always done it right that you know think new think you know a new paradigm shift because when you get to that well we've always done it this way that's when you know you're stagnating and and you're not accomplishing the stuff that you can and again the only word I have is simplistically is fear fear of the unknown or fear of change you know and one of the things an organizational leader in the military particularly army you get to higher levels hates to hear is why and, it, you know, I, I'm going to give you a little plug, Scott. I read your article on LinkedIn today. It was a great article. It made me chuckle when you said why in that article about we were having those routine meetings. Yeah. Um, and I got to think myself about, about routine meetings. And I, and I thought, for me, it's a social event. You know, do we really accomplish anything there? Um, or do we just get together for the sake of getting together and seeing all the guys and, and, and having some camaraderie? And there's a great place for that in the military, it's usually in a CrossFit gym doing PT and it shouldn't be around a, a boardroom table. So, but I, I think, I think you're exactly right. There needs to be more people asking why, uh, why we're doing these meetings, why we're, we're, we're trying to accomplish this particular objective. And, and out of that, we're going to get a lot more answers and, uh, probably cut some of those meetings out, but it, you, you said it tonight. So I thought I'd mention the article that you wrote earlier <laughs> We could probably do a whole podcast show on meetings because, you know, then the private sector, they, they tend to have the pre-meeting before the meeting and then the post-meeting after the meeting. And, and there may be multiple uh, iterations of each of those, by the way. And, you know, we the could military be is just as bad, man. We could, be, we could be a lot more adaptable in the military if we completely did away with stats, metrics, and command and staff. And we just <laughs> spent our time either doing PT or on the range. Uh, more things would be accomplished than ever looking at slides on a projector. Well, think about it. In the military, we do the exact same thing, though, Robert. How much time is not only wasted in the meeting itself, but in the, well, I've got to be 10 minutes early to the meeting because that's what the, you know, the sergeant major, sorry, Mike, we're the first sergeant once. No, so it, was start, it was 30 minutes. minutes. No, 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 it was 30 minutes because it was hurry up and wait. Yeah, yeah, it was hurry up and wait, right? Uh, it was uh, 30 minutes <laughs> because he knew he was not going to get there until 20 minutes early, and that way he would be 20 minutes early before the meeting. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's the same way within the private sector, though. I mean, when you start... Um, you know, you start breaking it down. Um, it was interesting. You guys were talking about um, not just the meetings aspect of it, but just change and adaptability and getting in the comfort zone. Uh, when you start looking at um, people who get into that rhythm and to um, feeling comfortable in their space, that's probably when things are going to change. Uh, I can share a story that one of my first jobs that I took um, was with um, – project management, but after that was uh, as a director of strategic operations, which was a fancy title. It really meant 
I was flown throughout the country to each of the manufacturing facilities, and my job was to evaluate the processes, the people, and everything to determine whether or not, A, we needed to make a change in order to make better quality, or two, we needed to shut down the facility. So, um, you know, at first it was... People saw me and they saw change and they saw that we're going to have to adapt as soon as I hit the door. And then next thing I know, I went to one facility and they stopped me and they go, uh, you know, can you not show up during the daylight maybe around here? Uh, Because they associate you with death, you know, shutting the facility down. So I knew then I needed to make a change as to how I approach things. But um, I'm sure each of us have some kind of story that goes into adaptability um, and how we had to make change and how we had to get comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, so, so I'll talk, I'll let Mike and Mark talk the, the soft stories and, and whatever, but, uh, I'll say that when, when I first started the kinder group, I was talking about, you know, I'm going to be a consultant. I'm going to imbue, you know, civilian clients with this SF, the, you know, theory and knowledge and, and obviously nothing classified, but, you know, just the, the SF truths and, and how they can become this elite organization and how they can do this. And, and they'll be empowered and they'll be passionate and they'll be able to better achieve their organizational objectives, blah, blah, blah. But again, you know, that and I had this conversation yesterday with a close friend of mine that was contrary to me being me because I would set out a dollar amount and say, all right, for the next 90 days, I will consult with you as a client. And, and I believe in under-promising, over-delivering, so I would get my paychecks coming in, but I would de- invest more and more and more of my time. So in reality, I found out pretty quick after three or four big clients in Sydney that consulting wasn't worth the money that I could charge and get for it because of, of just the inordinate amount of time for, for dollar that I was getting in the backside. It was as if I was back at working at Starbucks is Robert's favorite example of my previous jobs. So, so I, what I did find was a corporate training. So again, talking about it being adaptable, I said, well, all SF guys are teachers. I like to teach. I want to teach. Why not corporate training? So instead of trying to consult and change an organization in 90 days, which is damn near impossible, I would do corporate training events and it's been a lot better off for everybody involved because they can receive the information, ask me follow-on questions, and we can move forward that way versus me bugging them daily to do the things I'm asking and tasking them to do. So what was that title again? Was it Master Barista? But What was it? <laughs> <laughs> I was a I was the barista of the year for the North Shore of Chicago. So my cappuccino, um, skinny, skim, whatever cappuccino. But when I worked at Starbucks, to be fair, years and years ago, you didn't get to write on the cups. How you placed them up on the bar was how you remembered the drinks. So decaf and skim and latte and whatever. So, um, but I know it's your favorite example. Those, of those were the old days, Scott. Showing your age now. They didn't I'm even write your name on it. For sure, man. And with when the I four cappuccinos wife- and all the fruity stuff. When I told my wife Beth that you were a master barista and got a big award up in Chicago for that, you know, that elevated you from just a regular old soft guy like me way up above because, you know, she used to own her own coffee shop. She's worked in coffee oh. shops before. She she uh she really understands that industry and that business. And she's like, This is a guy that has it going on. See, Obviously, there you go. He there- did that. And then he went in the army. That wasn't that wasn't enough for him. So now he's got the kinder group, and and that's man, that's adaptable, Scott. Look what you've become. Yeah, from coffee to uh, from I'm his, blushing. If anybody from coffee to corporate, it. there's your next book. There you go. Coffee to corporate. There you go. From C to C. Trademarked, Mike Britch today. <laughs> 
but at any rate, I, I'm I'm sure you guys each uh, have something that you guys are familiar with or they're comfortable with that you guys had uh, seen. We all have. I mean, we've all been in situations where we've seen those individuals who haven't been a comfortable as comfortable with change as the rest of us. Um, they're easy to spot. Um, they're the folks that um, are usually over there chewing their fingernails, wondering uh, or asking other people what's happening next. What are we What are we going to be doing now? Why is this occurring? To your point, Scott, why, why, why? Um, and, you know, again, they stand out. It's, it's easy, um, a- again, to counsel them, to let them know that change is always going to be around them. Nothing is ever constant anymore. Um, I mean, we, we obviously adapted at Starbucks to where we're writing names on the cups nowadays. So, you know, we, we have to adapt and overcome. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Your finger broke? <laughs> I was just scratching my head. Sorry. Okay. Gotcha. I, you know, I think the small, the small things that change aren't, aren't near as, as, uh, as muscle movements as the large things that change. If you look at, Look at currently what we're going through. I know it's going to touch on a, on a touchy sub, subject here, but you know the expansion of military into the combat arms, the expansion of military potentially into soft, um, and, and watching the first two uh, women go through the Ranger School last year. Um, you know, I, I personally went through this uh, a couple of years ago with the repeal of "Don't Ask, Don't Tell," and everybody was up in arms about how we were going to implement the new policy. So that's big change, man. That's not. That's not small change. That's social change. That's change that people in the country are on different sides of. But if you look at how the military approached it, it's methodical. You know, that's, that's one thing that we can do. You can agree with the policy or you can disagree with the policy. But, but one thing we can all agree on is that within the military, we're going we're gonna to approach it in a methodical manner and we're going to use discipline to implement. And that's something that we're all very good at. So there's... There's a couple of examples, one that, that's, that's happened and nobody talks about anymore, and one that's, that's going to be happening over the next couple of years. And, uh, you know, we'll see how successful it is. But I think that uh, within the military, it's no longer an issue of whether or not we should do it, but how we go about implementing it. That's one thing that we do very well is implement orders. No, and I agree. I mean, talk about large-scale adaptability. I mean, that's, that's a great example because not only is that a – a organizational level adaptation, but it's also a cultural and every level. It's going to resonate through every single level of the U.S. military from from any level hierarchy, and and it's an amazing you know, it's an amazing point to make because that's where we're going, and that's no finer example of of adaptability at an institutional level. So, do we think that uh, fear is the the primary? Uh, issue then um i think it is um again i think it goes back to it was a great point that was made earlier that fear is the reason why most people don't uh you know adapt easily to the change um and uh, you know again it's something that's always going to be around you if you know that's the case then you need to start getting more comfortable with it whatever it may be and making sure that you know you're 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 starting to get adjusted to what's around you, um, whether it's the processes, whether it's the people, whether it's the industry that you're in, the market space, um, the procedures, whatever the case may be, 
understand that change is always going to be there. And if you do that, it's almost like, I don't know, I, I kind of think it harkening back to like the, the physics days where you think about how, you know, um, time continuum where you may have one element that's running really fast and then you have another one that's really walking very slow, but they're both in the same time continuum. Um, and, and I think about that and that, um, you know, it's it's going to level itself out, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Over time, you're going to find that they're both doing the same thing. You're always living in change, but it flattens itself out because the ups and downs within that are always constant. And it's, with that understanding, the, that acceptance and understanding of change, there comes that comfort. And then through the comfort of change and the knowledge that change is going to happen, there comes the ability to expect change, anticipate change, incorporate it into your planning, you know, at all levels, you know, from logistical to operational, tactical, strategic, you know, tactical, operational, strategic, right? So, so I tell everybody all the time, my wife used to work at Vanderbilt and she would have all these young officers come over because their, their wives were doctors at Vanderbilt because she worked in a medical center. And these young lieutenants and stuff who were married to doctors at Vanderbilt come to our house when I was a fifth group all the time. And they would ask me, what's selection like, man? Like, what's the Q course like? How is this? How is that? And so I, I got tired of answering the question all the time. And, and so I would just tell them, you know, the, the Q course to me, and Robert, I've told you this before, is, is a beautiful beast because if nothing else, it, it enacts a paradigm shift in your brain to where it just – you go through SFAS and selection, special forces assessment selection, and all you can think about is, is kind of how the suck is happening and you're sucking and you're miserable and you're just putting one foot in front of the other and you're not quitting and you're doing all these things, right? Then you went to small unit tactics and there was still a lot of suck and then you went to MOS and there was still some suck. But by the time you got to SEER school and the end of the Q course, you, you didn't really care. You had a paradigm shift in your head because – you expected the suck was going to happen. You expected, you know, oh, right, I've been cold, wet, and tired before. I've been hungry, cold, wet, and tired before. And everything ends, and it just breeds it out of you. So, but it also breeds you into the planning process, that anticipation and acceptance of change. And you know that things are going to change. I've never received a mission anywhere in my life, in any time in the military, without the firm belief that at some point something was going to change and that Murphy wasn't going to step in and throw a wrench in the plans and that something wasn't going to happen. And you can try and plan six ways a Sunday and through pace planning and all these other methodologies. But I accepted the change is going to happen. And when it did, I was willing and able for it because the paradigm shift had already occurred in my brain. It's those people that don't accept it, that fight the change and fight that knowledge that it's alive and well and is going to happen to them. That's the people who really struggle and are not adaptable as a result. Go ahead, Mike. I, I think it comes back to, you know, Robert said, is it fear? You know, and what Scott just gave a, a, a great story of is how in his past, he's dealt with fear, fear of uncertainty, fear of, of, uh, of not making it through, fear of, you know, of, of failure. And, but once, once you've accomplished that, once you've been through that wall, uh, most other things aren't as fearful. I, you know, I, that's the way I look at things today. I, I've, accomplished some things in the, I've, I've accomplished some things in the past that, you know, when you look at them as you're going into them, they're huge mountains. You know, but once you get over that mountain, uh, it doesn't seem like anything, anything in the future is, is near as fearful, from my perspective, I think. So maybe some people, when, when forced into change or when forced into, into accepting something they're uncomfortable with, uh, they've never had uh, to accomplish anything fearful in the past. And that's maybe why they people, they, they tackle different things in their lives. Some people go skydiving. People learn you know, to, to, to do something that they've never done. 
Uh, some people try to do something completely outside of their box and go to school. Uh, but, but, and it's all fearful. Um, but in, in, in retrospect, the things that, that particularly those of us that worked in the soft community have, have seen and done in the past kind of make it um, – it, it gives you a perspective. Well, it, it, probably what helped you, though, Mike, is that um, – and for those who are comfortable with change and realize that it's kind of the constant, that there's always going to be change there and you end up adapting – is that you broke through that wall and you were comfortable with it and you found the comfort from it. You know, obviously, if you're an individual who is uncomfortable with change and you find the fear within it, if you never accept that change, if you never accept uh, breaking through that wall and actually becoming or seeing what's around you and that it's different and embracing it, then the next time it comes around, you're just going to be fearful again. You're going to keep repeating that because, again, that becomes your your comfort zone, you know, is you can't adapt to change. And you start thinking that. Well, it's also the, the ability that you accept facts, right? And you accept that things are going to change as a fact. You accept that things are going to be difficult as a fact. And, and it's through that, that paradigm that we shift and that we alter that we quit wishing, right? People aren't adaptable and they don't change not only because of fear but because they wish things would be differently. And, and I hate that word, right? Like I, I don't want, you know, I, I kind of wrote an article contrary to John Acuff when he said like, why can't more of us be dreamers and wish for things and this? I'm like, I don't want dreamers. I don't want people who wish. In fact, I used to tell my Marines, i say like, well, Scott, I wish we could do this, you know, exercise or this operation or this whatever program differently. And I'd go, hey, dude, do me a favor. Hold out one hand and wish in it and hold out the other hand and crap in it. And then tell me which one fills up first because I'm sick and tired of hearing the word wish. We can't, wishes don't do anything. We, we just have to move out, draw fire, put one foot in front of the other and accept that change is inevitable and it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, for me, the, 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 the fact that I've accomplished those things that Scott so eloquently detailed, you know, five minutes ago, um, I, I've already broken through those walls. Those are the things that when I'm faced with some adversity today, it seems like, uh, and it seems like they're not as, as big, you know, and for me, it's writing, it's reading, um, you know, and I, and I'm, I've always been, been very good at accomplishing the physical things. Uh, some of the intellectual things have been a little bit, little bit more challenging for me. And so as I'm, as I'm looking at what's, what's in the future, I always go back to a day in SFAS. And I, I, wrote, a, I wrote a very short paper for, for something on this uh, today or yesterday. Um, but it, it's, there was a day in SFAS for me, and it was miserable weather. Um, it was nighttime. It was one of the we – we didn't do land nav. When I went through SFAS, we did what was called military orienteering. It was just designed to put lots and lots and lots of miles on your feet. So you weren't expected to leave the roads. You just had to move from point A to B, point A to point B, and you did it all day and all night long. On this particular day, uh, it was just horrible, horrible weather. It rained from the time we got off the truck. Now, it was raining before we left Camp McCall. And, you know, they have a standing information for probably 20, 30 minutes before they board the trucks, call and roll call. We all went out and we stood in formation. Um, when they called roll call to get on the trucks, about 10 or 15 guys decided, nope, it's not for me. Uh, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm going back into the butler huts. I'm going to get, you know, warm and dry. Well, I got on a truck and um, we drove out to, the, to our start point. They called a roll to get off the truck and three kids sat on a truck and said, nope. You know, I stood in the rain all morning. Uh, I got on, I got on a truck. I moved to the start point, but that's, that's enough for me. Uh, well, I got off the truck that day. 
and I started walking. I got my first point. I started walking. Man, it was miserable. I was cold. You know, it's, we were talking earlier, Robert, the, the, the storm you experienced today in Atlanta. Um, the, there's, there's a wet that you can only experience on the East Coast. And, and it's, it's just it's wet to the spine, to the core. And that's the wet that I felt that day. And I, I remember vividly. I can, I can remember it like it's happening right now. I looked down at my feet. And, and I had leather boots on, and I had a lot of foot powder on because from the day before, also the same conditions, I had some immersion foot. So the tops of my feet had, uh, well, I'd lost the skin. So I had no skin on the tops of my feet. And I looked down at my boots, and through the leather boots came white and red ooze, which is both foot powder and blood. And, uh, and I thought, man, this is, this is as bad as it could possibly be. And I wanted nothing more to go home. Uh, my wife was stationed in Texas, or I was stationed at Texas at the time. Uh, my wife and kids were there. I wanted nothing more to go home and just be warm and dry and have the comfort of my family. And, uh, and of course, you know, I, I, I didn't. I didn't quit. I, I, I kept going that day. I made it to the end. The weather did get better. Um, and the conditions got better for the rest of the course. And, you know, along and and for me, successful career became from, because I did not quit. So that day, at a lot of points over the 22 years I spent in soft after that, and what I'll probably look at until the day they, they put me in the ground, that day is a day that I evaluate all other days by. And, and that was pretty dang bad. And, um, but I think that when you do something like that, yeah. uh, and, and you, can, you, can, you can use this, the litmus test for whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Right. Uh, but, you know, the fact that I've got a, a heavy load over my head at work or in school or, or with whatever else is going on, I, I think, you know, we have that to evaluate by. Um, things aren't ever as bad as they seem. You should never quit. You should always put that foot in front of the other and just keep moving toward your objective. You know, I'll, I'll tie this back even to uh, making the transition. You know, when you're making the transition to uh, the private sector, um, you're going to see change coming. It's going to be a change in your skills. It's going to be a change in maybe the types of job that you're looking at. It's going to be uh, a different use of maybe how you use those skills within the military. You're going to apply them differently. Um, you know, those types of things that Mark's going to be, a, you know, experiencing here very soon and trying to apply those things within it. Um, and again, it kind of goes back to, uh, Mike, with what you were saying, that if you can go back on a story or go back on a time period where you can relate that to what you're getting ready to experience as you walk out the door, it'll help you then be able to adapt and make those changes even then through the transition, which I think a lot of folks struggle with. And we all know that because we see many of them working within those areas that are very comfortable with them, utilizing the same skill set, doing the same job. They basically walked out the door one day in a uniform and the next day in a suit, and they're doing the same thing. Um, and that's not really change. It's somewhat, but that's that comfort that you've gotten into that you don't want to leave so as you make a transition, you're really making that change as well and having to make that, you know, and adapt. It's how people perceive you as well. Uh, perception is going to come into play. Being a soldier or sailor, airman, marine, and what it was that you did. And, you know, they may not even know what your job was. As soon as you said you were a soldier, sailor, airman, marine, they're automatically going to assume you were throwing bullets downrange. You know, so it's a, it's overcoming the perception 
uh, applying your skills to the change and, and to the new environment. And Mark, you're going to be experiencing that rather soon. Um, but I mean, again, I would think that you're going to harken back on it like Mike did to your career and the things that you've had to adapt to. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, my wife teases me quite a bit about this because, you know, she works um, at a, a large copy company here in town. And uh, when she has like an issue or something come up at work and then uh, she's telling me about it, um, you know, I'll throw in like our view on how we look at things. Well, did you talk to him about changing this or doing that or changing this so you don't have to do that? And she starts laughing and says, that's not how it works there. And to me, it's hilarious. <laughs> you know, like I'll just sit back like, like, well, why didn't you tell her about that? She's like, well, that's how it's done. You know, we go back to that's how it's always done. That's how it's always done. They won't change. Uh, and and when I keep, you know, when she's telling me about it, I think mostly she's telling me about it just to vent a little bit because it's driving her nuts that it won't change. Uh, so when I do throw my answers out there, you know, I'll quick start going down a checklist. Say, well, you tried this. Have you told that? Or did you come up with an answer for this? You know, and uh, she kind of laughs at me. She's like, man, you were going to have it tough. And I was like, well, they're going to have to change then. <laughs> she uh, starts laughing at me about it. But, you know, like, because, you know, if we look at stuff like that, uh, and I can see like, Hey, you know, we can be more productive. We can do this. We can do that. And I'll, and I'll tell her about it, but she's like, that's just not how it works there. And it's not. And then, you know, I'm like, well, have you sat down? And she's like, you don't just sit down with the guy running the place. Uh, and it, to me, it's hilarious, you know, cause we'll go up and talk to anybody. And in that part of it, you know, she's like, Hey, you know, you can't just bully people. Uh, cause you do it like as a team star, you know, you're running some, you know, rough dudes, that are tough and rough, and and then you have to be in charge of them guys. Them type A personality dudes that are all really think they're in charge. Uh, and she kind of is always harping on me, like you can't just bully people. Uh, but you know we, we do it so much, and we see. But we, we want to win, you know. And I can't just sit back and, and look at that. And it says, you know, I want to fix this or change that. And I, I'm always just looking for the big dub at the end of it. And <laughs> so that that will take some time for me. Like, you know, like I'll have to find a place, you know, to where, you know, I can't I'll I'll die in a cubicle. Uh, just like I think was, Scott was talking earlier, how, you know, his, his brother doesn't let that change and will go sit and do his thing every day. That would that would be the nail in my coffin, I'm sure. Well, because it's so anachronistic to who we are, any of us, right? That, and my wife does the same thing with her company. She'll, she'll start complaining. I'll go, well, why? And then before I realize, I'm playing the why game with her. And, and I'm sure she that goes over real well. I mean, I'm going, I'm not meaning to, you know, but yeah. it's just because it's, that should be an easy fix. This isn't something that we have to talk about over dinner or talk about here. Or that's, that's a five-second fix. That's a no-brainer, you know. And she, and again, back to Mark's point, that's not how this works here with this company. You know, it's a global pharmaceutical company. They're not going to change on a dime. Then I just shake my head and walk away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <clears throat> but, you know, I think that's also, um, I think, what makes us more successful when we do get out of the private sector because we're not one to be able to – um, go necessarily with the flow. Uh, we'll evaluate the situation a lot better. We'll take it all in. And if it just doesn't make sense, we're probably ones to be able to bring that forward and go, you know what? It, it just, 
You could probably get more out of it. You could create greater greater throughput. You could get speed to market. You can do whatever if you're open to adapting or changing to what the market's trying to tell you. Again, it's it's what you guys are saying. I think those companies that are less flexible uh, are those that usually don't survive in the marketplace very long as well. Um, there was a uh, company that I worked for at one time where the CEO said, um, I said, well, why don't we go out there? He was, we were talking about in the room of all these great things that we could do. And I'm like, well, why don't we go out there and do it? No, 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 no. We, we don't go out there and lead. We're fast followers. And I thought, fast followers? Why would we want to be fast followers? The idea is to go out in the marketplace and make a difference and make a change. That's how I thought. Uh, and in their world, when they're dealing with somebody else's money, with stakeholders and shareholders, they were evaluating a little bit differently that, no, if you go out there and do that, you take too much risk on. We'd rather like hover back a little bit, let somebody else make the risk, and then we'll do it better behind them. I could see, I guess, both sides of it. But again, I think it's something that those of us in the military bring to the table is that we um, we have to make split decisions. We have to make instinct decisions at times. Um, and usually they are life and death situations. Um, so you kind of don't sweat the small stuff as much when you get out to the private sector. Uh, but I think too, it's about, um, you know, Mark, I, I could say that you probably will have some adjustments that you'll have to make for sure and how you maneuver or adjust through that. But I think still, uh, you wouldn't want to change who you are and the ability for you to be right, adaptable right. In, in that. Um, I just don't think that it would be good for you. And Robert, I think you hit on, on a good word that we've all been a bit remiss on today by, by not bringing it up, right? But you, you're mentioning risk. And part of being adaptable is, is a massive benefit when you're looking at you know operational risk mitigation or just risk is a is a uh, an entirety in itself, right? I mean, if you're not adaptable and you don't identify the risks and adapt to mitigate those risks, then you're doing your organization a massive disservice. Yeah, totally. I mean, you've always, every, anytime you make a decision, you got to be able to weigh that risk um, and understand, you know, what kind of things could happen, uh, whether it's financially, uh, whether it's in terms of resources, again, speed to market, all those types of things I mentioned earlier. You have to be able to evaluate every decision and you have to be able to have a document too that makes sure that you've evaluated everything in case it actually occurs so that you know how to mitigate it as quickly as possible. Um, and, and again, these are all things that we do on a daily basis within the military. Uh, when you're in the military, you evaluate, to your point, Scott, the risk. You you assess it quickly. You try to make the right decisions along the way and what you're trying to guide the organization towards. It's not that. It's really not that different within the private sector. Um, it's just that you might have to be in a position of authority, Mark, in order to make those decisions, or you got to be able to uh, uh, to feed honey uh, and uh, try to convince those people who are the decision makers that your idea is probably the better way by making it their idea. Uh, so that's an even bigger point, Robert. Again, sorry, I'm hogging the microphone. I don't mean to, but uh, that's an even bigger point with Mark and everybody else and, and why I'm so passionate about this podcast and what you're doing because the, the word mentors from military, right? You're, 
by you educating, you know, no offense, Mark, and I know you're going to land and, and do whatever you want to do, but when you're telling Mark, you know, this is how you translate all these skills that you have as an 18 series, as a team sergeant, as of this, as of that, and, and you're helping mentor him to understand that, translate that, and then apply that to the, the business world, A, that's him adapting to a, a new environment in which he's shortly going to be arriving in, you know, whether he wants to or not, like the day is coming and his wife's going to force him to do it from, from listen to the podcast before um but b it's 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 so inherent in all of us that we want to be this quiet professional guy we want to be this this quiet you know meekly in the background we don't want to advertise our skills we definitely don't want to you know um self-proclaim what we're good at and anything else you know that's why we're wearing you know berets instead of tridents i guess sorry jeff but um (laughs) we we don't do that stuff well but through the mentoring piece you're exactly enabling people to adapt to the civilian world and then to employ those skills to the utmost ability. Yeah. You know, and again, I think it goes back to uh, part of your adaptability um, is when you get into the private sector is understanding how controls work, um, how hierarchical, um, you know, decisions are made. Uh, within the private sector. Um, Sometimes it depends upon whether it's a large organization uh, versus a small one, government versus private sector. Um, Decisions are made differently based on the leader, uh, how they were brought up. The culture and environment that they were brought up in as a child uh, is going to play a big uh, influence on how they run their organization and make their decisions, whether they're inclusive or not. Um, You know, all those things. But again, You've had the opportunity, especially as a career soldier, Mark, to assess all of that um, as well within the, the military based on the different hierarchies, based on the different leadership uh, roles and positions, who's in command in charge of what decisions, how you need to go and help them you know, come to the same conclusion that you're at or, or arrive at that same conclusion as quickly as possible. And again, sometimes it requires politics and uh, sometimes you can go directly and be blunt and go, hey, listen, if we don't make this decision, uh, we can talk about all we want, but we're still going to arrive at the same conclusion. So let's just get there, you know, from zero to 60. Uh, unfortunately, the private sector, they don't they don't really want to get there that quick. You know, they, they're, they're not always <laughs> fast followers. Yeah, yeah, they, exactly. A lot of times they want to be the fast followers, you know. But, you know, I think they've got they've got a different level of investment that. Than, than we have in the military. You know, we're talking shareholders, we're talking investors. Uh, they have to show a profit, so they're a lot more cautious. Well, we don't have that in the military. When you first said fast to follow, I'm like, oh man, that's horrible. If somebody told me they were fast to follow in the military, I'd tell them, well, that's a synonym for fast to fail. Because if you don't show initiative and motivation in the military, you are not going to be successful. And and I, I think, uh, but but again, there's a very different level of investment that we have uh, between in the military. It's not, it's not our money. It's not shareholders' money. We're not responsible to. We're, we're responsible to commanders, and we're responsible to show success uh, for mission accomplishment. There's a very different level of investment there. And um, so, I, I, I mean, I, I learned something there. I understand a little bit about what, what, uh, what the private sector has at risk. And uh, the risk versus gain that I would show as a team sergeant or as a sergeant major, a guy, regular old soft guy, 18 Charlie on a team, is very different than somebody who has an account behind him that he's got to show, you know, some profit for. So that's that's 
That's that's good stuff. Well, especially if you talk in public versus uh, private. You know, a private organization doesn't really have to talk about their financials. But when you're talking about a publicly, you know, traded institution, now you are using somebody else's money, as you mentioned, Mike, in order to make those decisions. Um, and um, there are plenty of message boards out there, Yahoo Finance, and all those types of things where people talk about. Um, how crazy the leadership team is and making certain decisions or what they're hearing the decisions may be, whether it's purchasing another company, divesting a segment of the business, whatever the case. Um, so yeah, you've, you, you're going to be dealing, if you're not accustomed to change in the military, if you were the guy that was on the truck and decided to go home because it was raining and you were already tired and you didn't want to get back out and continue walking, then you're not going to adjust easily as well when you get to the private sector. Uh, because you're going to be behind the power gir- curve just as much there as you were within the military. A little bit different in terms of how it might be um, evaluated, but I think the same outcome is still true. If you want to succeed, you got to be able to adapt. you got to be able to overcome uh, the obstacles and climb over them. Uh, it, you know, whether, and you got to be able to assess the situation and understand the risk, like we were talking about earlier, whether it's your money, somebody else's money, whatever the case may be. Um, but you've, you've got to be able to listen and be open too to change that's coming around you. I think that's another thing too. One of the things that I've, I think I pride myself on in success within the private sector was that I, I was very attuned to what was going on around me, uh, within the organization. I could see what's coming on the horizon based on the decisions that have been made in the previous six months, the previous two years. And when, I, when you always analyze in terms of budgets or you're analyzing strategy-wise, you're always in, analyzing anywhere from six months to three years to five years out. And typically, most people don't know what's going to happen beyond three years in, in the real world anyway. Um, so you stick to you know pretty much between six and three years. I did the same thing backwards. I would look at the decisions that were made within the last six months to three years and how that is going to play an influence on what our decisions are going to be within the next six months to three years. Because in many cases, we may have already set a train on the track that's driving towards a certain objective that we can't change quickly. It's like, again, the old adage of you can't change the aircraft carrier. You know, it takes uh, so many miles in order to do that. And I'm not a Navy guy, so I don't know the whole how many miles it takes to do that, but at any rate, all, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, when when you think about that, um, you're always going to be in that constant uh, flux of change, and you have to be able to see what's around you and what's occurring, because if you do that, then you can look at your own internal budget. You can look at your own um, resources and, and hiring practices that you're going to be doing. What it is that you should be focusing your dollars on if you're doing a budget. Um, what you think the industry is going to be going into in, in terms of assessing your strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats in the marketplace. All of those types of things, because again, you were very attuned to the change that's happening around you, whether it's going to be coming in the future or based on the decisions that were made in the past. I agree. And I think, you know, one of my favorite quotes on the topic of adaptability is, it's not the strongest of the species that survives, not the most intelligent, but the one that's most responsive to change. And Darwin said that over 200 years ago. So 
we all know that we have to be responsive to change and we all know that it's a vital necessity, whether it's personal, professional, organizational, military, whatever the venue. And and yet we still have this resistance to change um, and this fear of adapting to current environments. It just shocks me. How many people that you guys know, because I know some, especially of certain age groups that don't know how to still use an iPad, an iPhone, a uh, internet, um, you know, I, I find it odd when I run into people even um, that are younger than I am that say that, uh, well, you know, gosh, I don't know how to use that computer. That's intimidating. You know, so, I mean, uh, it's shocking because uh, the way the world is evolving and changing, you've got to be, a, you know, you got to be able to adapt as well in everything that we do uh, because it's surrounding us all the time. Um, so, you know, it's a great example that you gave there and terms of what Darwin said 200 years ago, um, is that uh, you, you've got to be able to, in order to survive, you've got to be able to assess the situation, understand the risk, and be able to adapt and change on the fly. And the better you become and more comfortable you begin with adapting on the fly, the better you're going to survive. Uh, it's because just, I think that that's, that's a, a yet another paradigm shift, right? Because it's not just about winning. And, and you certainly have to adapt if you want to win and if you want to, you know, close with and engage the enemy and clear the objectives in the soft world and whatever, right? And with less resources and, and changing missions and everything else. But there's another whole way to look at adaptability, and that's survivability. If you're not adapting to the current times, you're not going to survive. It's not, it's not win. You're not going to survive at all, especially as an organization. You can't, you know, you can't be a guy like my older brother that just looks and goes, nope, this is how it is. X is always X. The sky is always blue and I'm always me. Done. End of the day. You, gotta, you have to adapt. You have to adapt and overcome because so, if you don't, survivability is your stake. I'll give you a good classic example. Everybody heard of Kodak, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Kodak's yeah. not around anymore. Why is that? Because they stuck so much on trying to deliver the actual camera, 35 millimeter, 110 actual film instead of wanting to go the digital way. And so when they wanted to go the digital way, everybody around them was starting to change and say digital's now the new thing. Um, they weren't quick to adapt. And so they started getting overcome. Uh, by a lot of different companies that started taking them over, Canon and uh, Motorola, all these other different uh, organizations that started realizing there's a clear opportunity here because people want to have these things digitalized on their PC, on their phones, whatever the case may be, and nobody wants to have pictures. And then you think about us nowadays, how many of us actually print out a picture and put it on a wall nowadays? Most of the time, not at all. We end up having it on our phone, on our iPad, on our PC, and we want to show somebody we swipe left or swipe right or whatever the Speaking case may be. Speaking of iPads, how many industries has Apple by itself killed, right? I mean, you know, you, you got Netflix destroying Blockbuster, you know, movies and Hollywood video and all these stores, and, and you got Apple, you know, and Craigslist killed the newspapers, right? And then Apple destroyed just many, many industries, phone carriers and it's it's just amazing these companies who who had a hundred years tenure and and billions in the bank potentially couldn't adapt because of that comfort happens all the time and it's sad when you think about it because um again they get very much like your brother in terms of wanting to go to work at a certain place and do a specific job and a function and they think that the marketplace will um is still interested in what they bring to the table they think the market is such that, I mean, if you think of like Apple, Apple constantly is having to change the phone. I mean, it drives me absolutely nuts that I, I'm an iPhone user. I like iPhones. People have their different preferences. 
uh, as far as phones. But when you think about whatever the product is, as far as a phone, they always come out with one or two a year. And the reason why is that they make slight little changes on occasion, but they know if they don't change, then you're going to get comfortable with that model. They're not going to make any money if you constantly love your model. So they have to constantly change. It's the reason why we went from, you know, the old, uh, well, I'm really showing my age now, you know, to the, uh, the, 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 45 and the 33s to the cassette tapes or eight tracks before that to the VHS and the Betamax and to the, you know, to the digital age and stuff that we're in today. It's because change is inevitable and you got to be willing to adapt to it and you got to be able to see what's on the horizon so that you can adapt to that as well and be ahead of the marketplace or be a good fast follower with somebody else's money. That's what I was just getting ready to say. If you're not, you're going to be fast to follow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And some people survive well that way, actually. Um, you know, they, they're willing to lead out in the front on occasion, but they like to be able to, to follow behind. And, um, you know, I, I guess that works when you think about it uh, in some instances where if you were if you were to go out there, Mike, and create a product and then you fall flat on your butt because it just wasn't effective, um, I take then what you've got and I go out and perfect it and make it better. I mean, we hear those stories all the time where somebody comes up with a better product, MySpace versus Facebook. I mean, it's an example of taking a, a product that was available that people were using that was limited to a certain marketplace. Facebook saw that it was a great opportunity, refined it, created another product that was a little bit better that was outside of just the school uh, and university and expanded upon that because they saw a broader market space. Everybody ended up getting onto it, and now you look, and just about everybody's got a Facebook uh, page. You know, that's what happens when you sign a deal with the devil. If you're Mark Zuckerberg, so <laughs> you know, and if <laughs> I just sent you a friend request on Facebook, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I mean, it's 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 uh, every evolving. I mean, you think about Instagram. Instagram wasn't that big that long ago, and now all of a sudden, people got tired of Facebook because all it was initially, people enjoyed like myself seeing occasional photos of you know your friends and family, and then all of a sudden, now it's gotten more into you know all kinds of different subjects. Uh, some of which that I don't always have you know an opinion on, or nor do I want to stick my neck out there and put an opinion on it. So Instagram's nice because typically it's just a photo. Now people are starting to get more into writing three-page paragraphs on their Instagram photo to give their idea of what the picture is all about. So now all of a sudden we're turning Instagram back into Facebook, back into MySpace, back into whatever. Uh, but at any rate, that's it, it's one of these things where you've got to be adaptable to change. You've got to be able to see what's coming around the corner. Um, and, and you've got to be able to react to it. So just for the future reference, I might be a master barista, but Mike is, according to his wife, the Facebook whore. So if we're, <laughs> if we're attaching terms to each other, yeah. I'm huge on Facebook, by the way. If you don't friend me on Facebook, if you're listening to the podcast right now, reach out. You know, MDP Sturp, that's me. So Yeah, I'm there now. Sorry, Major has spoken. <laughs> Yeah. So at any rate, you know, uh, well, we can bring that back that you need to be on LinkedIn and the whole bit. And I'm sure there's a product already coming out somewhere that's going to be better than even LinkedIn. Um, and, and there's different organizations that are actually trying to do just that for different avenues. Uh, but, uh, you know, in bringing it back around to military, to being adaptable to the change, understanding a lot of times what folks within the private sector are not. And if you're in the military and you're not comfortable with change, I don't know what you've been doing. You've been living under a rock uh, because the military constantly changes. 
seems like we get a new uniform every time the general's wife comes in or a new uh, a, a new um, colonel's you know thought of a new product as far as a hat or we need to have a beret or you like the this flash better and you know next thing you know we're going to buy new products left and right um, you know it, it's the same type of thing when you're in the military when you make the transition to the private sector you've got to be able to make that same um, transition take that change and adaptability with you um, and be able to roll it right into your new job and I think if you do that then you're going to be a lot more comfortable within that space and not have to worry about, not that it's a bad thing to go into work for a Department of Defense uh, agency or something like that, but if you go to work for the private sector, it's certainly going to be different than that government environment that you've been accustomed to while you were in the military. So, um, Mark, you've been awfully quiet tonight. This is a tough crowd to jump in on. <laughs> a lot of knowledge out there. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. <laughs> I'm, I'm busy taking notes on this thing. <laughs> That's, well, you're going to be making that transition awfully soon, so you'll be fine. Just don't go to work for the same company your wife works for. You'll be okay. Yeah, I'll probably slip my wrist there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, it, I'm, I'm not good with the fast follow stuff. <laughs> God, I wish I would have known that term when I was a team sergeant because I had a couple of fast followers yeah, yeah. There's a uh, there's a lot of those out there. They come in all t different types of shapes and sizes for sure. Whether it's a company or an individual, um, we've definitely seen it. And like I said, sometimes I guess they're I kinda, successful. You know, I, I yeah, I would say I I like having guys like that around because uh, they're easy to beat. Um, <laughs> you know, just, hey, you know, like they they might win every now and then, but they're not going to excel. It's like the guy uh, that and anybody out can PT, beat. Man, I feed off of his failure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, hey, I just got to beat that dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, I, well, also you find that, uh, I mean, in any organization, they're going to find those individuals that are both fast followers and those that are overachievers. Um, and, and then you're going to find those that are kind of in between as well. But um, at any rate, I, I think hopefully we've kind of brought it home as to uh, what we wanted to talk about tonight and adaptability that you got to be able to adjust to the change um, kind of know your environment understand your risk take the skills of that that you've had within the military they're going to serve you well within the private sector it's the same exact thing um, I think the bigger thing is is trying to understand the environment you're in and that you're not always going to be able to make the change uh, mark uh, as quickly as that you'd hope and in cases you might have to um, you know, work your way through a little bit more of the politics and finding out who the decision makers are to help them understand. Uh, but in some cases, right. you might be able to make that sooner just by having them uh, understand the speed to market, speed to delivery, how you can overcome the competition. And if you put it in a way in which they understand that, that language, um, they'll be more likely to make those change and adapt quicker, um, I think, uh, more quickly than what they would have had you not explained it in a way. And I think, too, you know, when you're talking about changing adaptability uh, and convincing others, which could be even a different topic, um, it's it's about knowing how to do that so that it's always coming back as their idea. Um, and if it's their idea, you're you're probably going to be successful um, if you can figure out a way to do that. So with that, guys, unless there's some uh, hot topic within the uh, the chat room or anything, um, I think we'll close this thing up and appreciate everybody that came in within the chat room tonight, uh, talked about change and adaptability with us. 
thank you, Mike, Scott, and Mark, for sharing your stories about uh, the adaptability and providing um, the input tonight. And we'll do this again here in a couple of nights on Wednesday at uh, 9 o'clock Eastern time. We'll do In the Strategy Room, and uh, you bet we'll have a good topic, and we'll have a good time then as well. So for uh, me, uh, Scott, Mike, Mark, we hope you have a great evening, and uh, we'll see you then.